four teams stand, and it's not the ones you expected them to be. San Diego State, FAU, Miami, and UConn. The final four participants in Houston later this week. I am off to Houston in a couple of days, but here we are recording one last regular season podcast, Brad. This is exciting stuff. Um, I, I start the show with this, Brad. I start the show with this. I am perhaps the biggest fan of the San Diego State Aztecs outside of the state of California that you will find. Because in the preseason, you know, when 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 we were talking all, you know, here's here's what's happening, here's all the futures numbers over at the uh, BovadaSportsbook.com. Wonder what I did? I put $25 on San Diego State to win the national championship. 60 to 1. Was that intelligent? It's hard to say. I mean, you're, you're right there. So, San Diego State's like the biggest, like muckiest team. They mucked up Alabama. They mucked up Creighton. They should they they should be able to muck up Florida Atlantic. We'll see if they win, uh, because especially that that Creighton game. I mean, it, it it just came down to like a few offensive rebound kind of push shots, kind of bully ball with Ladee in a rope. And um, Johnson, and that that was a difference down the stretch. Um, it won't be as easy to bully UConn, but Florida Atlantic. I, I mean, Florida Florida, Florida Atlantic is not small, uh, but the fact that they were just so disruptive for for Creighton, and you know, there, there was one play where they were in this great kind of backdoor feed to get Nemhard an open layup. I think it was Mensa's just contest. Made Nemhard miss the layup. That that was like the the epitome of the Creighton offense. But yes, I'm I'm fully on the Aztecs. They are really really good defensively. Yes, it's not the prettiest basketball, but I don't really think they can beat UConn when UConn plays well. But San Diego State is great, and, and Bill Self says this all the time that he wants to make the opponent play worse than the, than them. Right? He's not he's not you know you're not necessarily looking to play well yourself. You're looking Make your opponent play worse than you did. And San Diego State's the epitome of that style of team. Um, I also do have a smaller futures bet um, at Bovada on UConn to win the title. So the hope is that we get a San Diego State-UConn title game, and I can just hedge it accordingly and then spend buy a bunch of UConn money line to balance out the difference and make a guaranteed like 750 bucks or something like that. But How, how about this UConn season where – in the preseason, I, I think I had them like 13th or 14th. Most people had them unranked. They, they, the first month, two months of the year, they're clear-cut number one in the country. The UConn and Purdue fans are going back and forth on Twitter. They fall off a cliff. We say, well, what happened to that old UConn? Now they're punking everybody in the NCAA tournament. Now we got to go back and say, well, how did they suck for two weeks? It, I mean, to me, it looks like UConn's going to waltz to the championship. I mean, people are making a deal. Oh, Timmy foul this, Timmy foul that. I mean, UConn at that time when Timmy got his fourth foul, they were up like 10 or 12 points. And then immediately, it was like blink of an eye, it's 30. Yeah, I mean, 
I've probably been to more UConn games than any person who's not a UConn fan in the country. I mean, I've probably been to more than all but the season ticket holders because I saw them three times at PK. I saw them in Hartford against Villanova. I saw them in Mar- Milwaukee against Marquette, and I saw them in Chicago against DePaul. And then I've seen all four of their tournament games because they were in Albany and then they were in Vegas. So I've seen kind of the ups and the downs. And they were so overwhelming the first six weeks of the season where, you know, like, like for, for instance, like the Iowa State game, end of PK-85. I didn't even think UConn looked that good. Like, UConn played, like, B UConn basketball that day and beat a good Iowa State team by 30 or 20, excuse me. And as things kind of slowed down into conference play, they started to look more mortal. Like, they looked mortal against Villanova. They looked mortal against Marquette. They obviously had the St. John's loss, the Seton Hall loss. Um, part of that was just shooting. Part of that was figuring out how to, what to do with Andre Jackson offensively. Um, I think part of it was that they lost a little bit of their edge. But they feel very much the same overwhelming UConn. Um, from the early part of the season, right? Like, like you're watching them play Gonzaga. Gonzaga's talented. You're watching them play Arkansas. Arkansas's talented, right? Arkansas has three McDonald's All-Americans. Gonzaga has, you know, one of the three best players in the country, just beat UCLA. And it, every media timeout where they're in the game, it feels like they're hanging on for dear life, you know? Like, like the vibe is that UConn, like if you were just watching UConn in the tournament right now, you would think they were like a 30 and two regular season team, like an overall number one seed in terms of like what it like, just not even just how they're playing, but like talent wise and athleticism, right? Like they just look overwhelming and no one's even challenged them. I think, I think the most indicative play, and I don't even remember if this was against Arkansas or Gonzaga. But it was a Caravan baseball pass. Yes. Andre Jackson. That was against Arkansas. One ocean to, to, for a lob. Uh, fast break without without the ball hit, hitting the floor. Uh, you know, whenever Andre Jackson gets the ball in the open court, you, know, you kind of sit up in your seat a little bit. Was, he's flying. There's going to be a lob. There's going to be some sort of whip pass. Um, but yet, Sonogo's been dominating. Klingon comes in and he's swallowing shots. I mean, it's, you know, Aline's hitting shots. California, uh, uh, Joey California's hitting shots. It's just up and down the lineup. Yeah, I mean, the depth is is outstanding. Newton's been playing a lot better, right? I think if you think back to when UConn struggled, a lot of the blame was put on Tristan Newton. And if you look... You know, again, statistically, has he been the most explosive player? No. But if you look in the tournament, Newton had six assists, no turnovers against Iona. He had 13 points, five assists against St. Mary's. Uh, He had six points and seven assists against Arkansas. And then again, Gonzaga, he had eight points, six rebounds. Like, he's just finding ways to contribute. And, you know... I'd love to find a way for UConn to at least play a competitive game, right? Like, it would be very anticlimactic if 
UConn rips through without ever playing a competitive minute in this turn. Really, a competitive second half minute, excuse me. That's not fair. But, like, 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 if you're Miami, right? Like, how are, how are you sitting here? Like, what's the what what's the like realistic path to victory? Well, the thing, well, the thing with Miami is, in in, in inferno shooting, you know, that's that's their path. Uh, but they are they're very small. I mean, they're going to be probably the smallest team that UConn's faced in this run. They're probably even smaller than Iona. Maybe the same size as Iona. I think I think the size thing isn't as big of an issue with Miami because of how well Omir has played. Right? And I actually think Miami can create some interesting mismatches with the power forward spot. Because if you put Miller on if you put Caravan on Miller, I think Miller's gonna have a big day. Right? Yeah, but you can just put Jackson on Miller. Then who guards Isaiah Wong? You could do Hawkins. Sure. Do Newton. You could do then a you get, Then you either have Hassan to take Diara. That could be a good game for Hassan Diara to, right. to, to chase around Nigel Pack and stuff. Right. I think, though, the one thing right where I'm getting to is at least with Miami, they're capable of creating a mismatch. Right. Yeah. Okay. You want to put Jackson on Miller? That's fine. We get Isaiah Wong against a. Uh, we get Isaiah Wong against a mediocre defender, or not quite as good a defender, if nothing else. Right. We get Poplar and Pack. One of them is going to draw Caravan. Or you play Caravan off the floor, who's a really valuable piece for them because of the way he shoots it. And the fact that he's bigger and helps them rebound and is in the right place on loose balls. Right. I think if nothing else, you like the fact that you can maybe create some mismatches with Caravan. I talked to Caravan in Vegas, and he said, you know, during that stretch when they struggled, he had to play some really good power forwards, right? Kaluma and Hopkins uh, and Omax. And obviously, like, they're all slightly different players, but there is some parallels there between that and Jordan Miller, no? Definitely. So I- I'm very curious to see – how that shakes out, but I mean, I mean, Miller might be the best offensive player in that group. I think he probably is. I mean, maybe Hopkins is a little bit better offensively, but right, like I, I really want to talk myself in Miami, right? Because I think we've seen it when Omir is playing as well as he is, he's generally neutralizing whatever your opponent's getting in the front court, right? He's not getting destroyed on the glass. He's hanging in one-on-one. And I think in some ways, he's a little bit more well-equipped to handle someone like Adama Sanogo because he's just like Adama. He's a little bit stocky, and he's not he's not, not overly tall, but he's just, like, sturdy. Like, he's a hard, hard guy to break down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, this, this, this could be a game where it's too fast to put in Klingon. I mean, we kind of saw that against St. John's. We kind of saw that um, in, in in some of UConn's tougher conference games where it just felt like Klingon was a step slow and you had to get Sunogo back in there. But when 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 the matchup's right for Klingon, 
he he dominates to the extent that he looks better than Sonoda. Yes. And again, like that's the really hard part of it, right? Like you keep you keep saying, okay, well, here's maybe the matchup that UConn that that Miami can exploit. Here's the edge. Well, well, what happens if UConn does this? What happens if UConn does this? Right? They have just so many more ways to beat you. And I talked all year about that. This with Alabama, right? Like. I feel like Bama had more ways to beat you than a lot of the other elite teams. And that turned out not to necessarily be true because they lost a rock fight. Um, I, I think UConn is a very good example, right? They can beat you kind of with the body blows of Sonogo and Klingon. They can beat you with the shooting. They can beat you with the defense. They can beat you with the offensive rebounding. Um, they can out-tough you. They can out-athlete you. Like, they have a little bit of everything. And, and, and when Hawkins is playing well and he has played – marvelously well. He played marvelously well in Vegas, and he was outstanding in both second halves in, in Albany. Their offense is just really, really hard to guard. And I, I, I keep saying, like, like at some point, I, uh, or UConn's going to have a, a game where they shoot four for 24 from three, right? Inevitably, in the tournament, you're not going to shoot the wall well in every game. And I thought for a bit there, when they started slow against Gonzaga, that was what was happening. And then they made some shots and really stretched it. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious, like who gets the crack at them, and will they be able to beat them when they do? Well, your odds of having a bad shooting game go way down when you have five, like really, maybe even elite shooters. I mean, Hawkins, Caravan, Newton, Aline, and Joey California. I mean, those are five like snipers. I think. I mean, would it be crazy to go so far as to say on most teams, any one of those five players would be their best shooter? Is that a bridge too far? Um, I think it probably is with a couple. Like, I don't think Tristan Newton is like a lead shooter. You know what I mean? Hawkins with his, I mean, running off screens. He, yes. he gets fouled every time he runs off a screen. You know, at least once a game, he's he, he, he's shooting three free throws. In transition, you know, the level of difficulty, just kind of rising and firing. It's a great lift on that shot. Um, Aline shots, you know, the, the lefty feels like some of them are a little too quick, but he's been shooting. Newton has super deep range. Carabran's great off the catch. California comes in, a couple threes. I mean, it's- I'm I'm just trying to get to the point where like, it's like if you're a t- like you're gonna have to give something away, right? If I'm a coach, I'm probably living with Tristan Newton beating me, right? Like, well, I I mean the the, the first order of business is back off Andre Jackson, but that's not working anymore. It, it, it was working in Biggie's play for, for, for most of it. Maybe that's that's the solution: is you back off them and maybe press up more on the other three-point shooters, and that'll get you your bad shooting the, game. And the, you'll have Andre Jackson shooting ten threes, and he makes three of them. But that's that's good enough to uh, to get the edge there. The one thing I think UConn's done a much better job with, though, lately is Jackson's doing a good job of, if he's not guarded, 
moving without the basketball, you know, sitting around in the dunker spot, cutting space, like, like doing things to avoid it from playing four on five, right? Because again, right. In Big East play, you got a lot of situations where it'd be like, all right, swing, swing, swing. Oh shoot. Jackson's got the ball. He's got to either shoot it or, you know, drive it, you know, drive it, but you know, you don't have an advantage. It's right. a one one dribble free throw line floaters, which if you've gone down, but um, yeah, UConn is looking pretty formidable. I mean, I, I let me I think, let me ask you this: can, can can you see a world where UConn loses the championship game to a mid major? Well, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, I I would have bet money that with our elite eight that we were going to have a Creighton. Versus UConn final four, or Creighton versus UConn championship. I didn't think that there was any way that Creighton was going to lose to San Diego State. I thought Creighton's got the rim protection. They have a good enough defense to hold down the bad San Diego State offense. And at the same time, with their three creators and their adeptness in the pick and roll, that they would eke out enough offense. Um, But San Diego State won that one. And I thought Kansas State was going to beat Florida Atlantic. Um, Marquise Noel, I mean, incredible tournament. He had my my favorite pass of that Michigan State game wasn't the lob. He had this one play where he threw like a baseball pass, like hummed it, and two Michigan State defenders went for it coming from different directions at the same time, and it like just snuck through for a Tomlin layup. That was my favorite. But back back to the point. Uh, I I I was convinced that we were gonna have. Basically, all, all the Final Four teams that lost except UConn. You know, I thought it was going to be UConn, Texas, Creighton, and Kansas State. Well, Big Big 12, Big East. But um, It's a good thing you weren't, uh, you weren't betting on Bovada this weekend. That is very true. The, the uh, Creighton one was the biggest surprise. Um, but, I mean, yeah. even that, that, that Texas game, I, I watched the whole thing. I couldn't even tell you how Texas blew it. Like, I, I saw it with my eyes. But it went from Texas is in control to Texas is screwed. And, and I couldn't even tell you what happened. And there was no, like, yeah, there was no, like, huge meltdown, right? It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, Texas all of a sudden can't, you know, you know can't take care of the ball. But there was, like, one or two turnovers, one or two bad shots. It just it slipped away very quickly. And then... I guess backtracking because we didn't talk any Sweet 16. I guess we, we I mean. Well, we, let's let's talk. Uh, you, you said you said State was surprised. I agree with that. I think I was. I thought Creighton would win that game. I think SDSU has done a great job of imposing its style of game on every opponent it's played. Absolutely. Right? And that that's huge, um, particularly in, in this March, because they're and they're getting just enough from Darian Tramel in particular. Because Matt Bradley has struggled, right? I, I think if you you and I talked last week, like the chance Bama had of winning that of losing that game was Matt Bradley cooked you in the mid range. That's not really what happened. Like Sanders' age just like destroyed them at the rim on both ends of the floor. And in, in that second half, it was like three, seemingly three straight plays with a rope got Kaluma under the rim for a finish, and then. Ladia, I think, got Shireman once or twice under the rim for a finish. You know, like offensive rebound or something, a couple back down dribbles and a little jump hook. Um, and, and, and that's how that's how they generated their offense. Um, 
that yeah they got nothing from the perimeter. Parrish was letting them fly, um, and then probably the, the, the most crucial basket was like a little ten foot push shot from Nathan Mensa. You know, we'll found money, um, and that was that was just enough. But I mean, you were you were talking on on, on Twitter about how. You know, pe- people want to make these sweeping conclusions about the Final Four, but let, look, looking at the very first round, Miami was on the ropes against Drake. Florida Atlantic was down against Memphis, you know, with like seven seconds left. And San Diego State, while they pretty much handled their their two opponents, couldn't you have seen a world where a, a different matchup other, other than College of Charleston does San Diego State in? Or if... No doubt. Virginia survived. Virginia's able to, you know, out out talent them or whatever. Um, so it feel, feels like more so this year than than in past years. It, it feels more flimsy. Yeah, obviously, like, the paths for each team were a little bit easier, right? Like, San Diego State didn't have to play Arizona to get to the Final Four. It had one truly tough game, and that was – I mean, Creighton's a good team. But, like, the one – you know, elite team that had to play with Bama, and they beat him. And I think that's what makes Miami's run so impressive, right? Miami played 12-seed Drake, 4-seed Indiana. They played 1-seed Houston and 2-seed Texas. And, I mean, look, you can criticize this, criticize that, poke hole here, poke hole there. I, like... I really think, um, like, I, I really think Miami earned its spot. And yeah, they won some close games, but you're gonna have one game where you're on the ropes against a win in March, right? And really, the only game where they were, you know, they, they've had two, right? They were on the ropes against Texas, and they were really on the ropes against Drake. And they were down eight with five minutes to go in straight, found a way to win. Now they're going to the final four. And and by the way, like I. There's been a lot of, like, ACC's good narrative. If Miami loses that game to Drake, the ACC doesn't have a team out of the first weekend. <laughs> Did you see that the ACC commissioner was like, yes. we need to change the, change the narrative and use the eye test? Like, what seed do you think Virginia is going to get with the eye test? They're going to get, like, a 10 seed. Like, oh, oh you think Clemson's going to be in now? Well, my eye test... I, I watched the whole game where they got their ass kicked against Loyola Chicago. I watched them lose to Boston College. They lost to Louisville. My 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 eyes didn't see that one, but I'm sure some people's eyes saw that one. You you, you think the eye test is going to help you? <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of like, oh, Miami was a net. Miami broke the net. Miami lost to Florida State at home. Turn the tech. Like, forgive me. I'm so like, again, I'm sorry, right? Like, I get it. Miami had a, a good year, right? They started 13 and one. They beat Providence in the non-conference. You know, they beat Rutgers in the non-conference. They won at UCF in the non-conference. They won their regular season championship. They beat Duke by 22, right? Like, they had a good year. But like. Miami was at most, right? Like, even even if you wanted to say Miami got screwed by the net, Miami was at most a three seed, right? Well, which three seed do you want to move down? You say 
maybe Xavier, but wouldn't UConn get the eye test nod over Miami or Duke? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, like, there's no world where their resume was, like, top two seed worthy. You know what I mean? Even Indiana looked looked good in the regular season. I mean, they, they would be in, in for an eye test bump over Miami or Duke, who, who, who both look good. But um, well, There's just a crazy amount of revisionism out there right now. It's killing me. But, look, I mean, kudos to them. They have a really good team. It'd be fun to see them beat UConn, or at least push UConn, because I'm not sure if FAU or SCSU can. The uh, Jalen Gaffney Bowl would be fun, though. And then, I guess, thoughts on the ratings. Oh, my God. I mean, the ratings are going to be down. But I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a disaster. Because, like, does the casual fan, like, really understand that, like, San Diego State is, like, a different level of basketball prestige than, like, Creighton or Miami? You know, like, does, does Mr. Casual Sports fans, it's like, oh, the Final Four is here. Let, let's flip it on. And if it's not a blue blood, like, does he does Joe Joe Smith, the casual, know that San Diego State is a less prestigious team than, say, um, I don't know, Xavier or Virginia or Texas Tech or any of these kind of recent um, – it kind of feels like it kind of feels to me like it's it's like a it may, like like it's speaking its own destiny into existence, right? Like yeah, like no one's gonna watch because all these you know shitty teams made it the final four. All the casuals are hearing, oh, shitty teams made the final four. I guess won't watch, you know, like yeah, the 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 media is what's what's driving this, absolutely. Like I I I I think I mean like UConn will bring 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 eyes out. And people will watch a Cinderella story. Like, FAU, like, people watch Butler. I felt like Butler had some national appeal. And FAU is arguably a, a greater Cinderella than Butler. I mean, FAU, remarkably, I mean, like, I don't know if you read, I encourage all of you to go check out what Norlander wrote for CBS. Dusty May literally, like, cried tears, reali- trying to, like, realizing that he had just taken this job once he realized how bad it was there. And well, five years later in the Final Four. I I might want to call BS on that because on part of my take today, Dan Hurley basically told the same story about UConn. He got there and, oh, my God, this is so much worse than I thought. And I said, I want to go back. And my agent said, no, you can't go back. They're inside the contract. And the, So I wonder if that's that's the new um, kind of Jordan Sperber press, cons, press conference culture uh, thing is – Revisionist history with the coach being like, you know, I didn't think I could do it, but then I rallied the troops and I I got on my headspace and then I turned this ship around. Um, I will say the only thing on this is I know that uh, McCall was on for the 68 and he had worked at FAU in 2007 and said that you know he went back there to broadcast games this year and was like. Holy shit! Like this place has not changed at all since the end of So I mean, look, it, I think it is a cool story. I think their guards are really good, John L. Davis and Martin in particular, right? I mean, they're just they just have been monster evaluators, right? Like, 
and they did a smart thing. I said this um, while I was at the in Vegas. I was just talking to people watching the games, like recruiting the like Brian Greenlee and Vlad Golden type transfers has always made a lot of sense to me. Right? You play one year at a high major. You don't prove that you're anything different because you didn't play. You don't prove that you're anything different than what you were out of high school. Why are you now damaged goods, right? Vlad Golden was always like a project big who had a chance to maybe play as a, as a veteran. Um, at Texas. And, we, and we joked when they signed him, like, this dude's never going to play at Texas Tech. Like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, he's their fourth center, like, 13th guy, foreign guy. Like, he, he's out the door in a year. So he, he was going to transfer, and he did. He goes to a mid-plus, and he's a very good center, right? Brian Greenlee was a you know undersized guard at Minnesota behind – they had Marcus Carr, they had Gabe Kalsher, they had Peyton Willis, they had Trey Williams, right? Like, they had guards. He was behind them all. He didn't play. Okay. Well, he's the same recruit who was mid-plus, probably was a reach to go to Minnesota in the first place. He gets to go down. He goes in-state to FAU. Look at this. Right? He's a good player, really good defender, and makes shots. Smart. You combine that with you know Gaffney, who's been solid. Um, and then like Nick Boyd, he's a good defender, and Forrest, the veteran, and then Martin and Davis who are both athletic and can score and make shots. Like they just have a good mix. They put a lot of pressure on you because of the number of guards they have. It's kind of it's almost Baylor-esque in 2021 in terms of how good their guards are. Um, you know, I like this, this, this whole run has not felt fluky, right? Like you didn't, you didn't sit there watch, like, like I loved the Loyola 2018 team, right? I think they were an excellent team. I thought they had a, you know, they were an at-large caliber team. They go to the final four. That run absolutely felt fluky, right? They got a buzzer beater, buzzer beater. End of game magic and then the K State game. Fell fluky. The FAU got lucky in dodging Purdue in the second round, but that game did not feel like a fluke, right? Like none of, and, and certainly last weekend did not feel like a fluke. Like the way that they played against two high major teams, two very, very, very different challenges, right? Tennessee with its physicality, K State with its skill level. That was unbelievably impressive. And it makes me. Makes me regret that uh, I did not place a little Final Four future on, on Bovada for for the for the Owls because they they were just so so solid in every way, never phased by the moment, really, really impressive. And to be honest, I forgot that Tennessee game even happened. They just kind of took took control in that second half, took took care of business. I mean, Tennessee, I mean, that that could be a good sign of things to come for their matchup against San Diego State. Yes. Now, without without Ziegler, San Diego State might have a better offense. I don't know about that. That could still be an exaggeration. But that that same level of physicality with traditional, you know, traditional three, fours, and fives, ton of size. Maybe FAU can pull that off. I mean, that would that would make FAU what thirty six and three going to the championship. 
I mean, just what a Correct. what a dream season. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, the uh, computers in the preseason likes Florida Atlantic. They have them like 80th. Yes. For this team to go potentially 36 and four, or or even beat UConn and go 37-3, win a national championship as Florida Atlantic. That is like truly mind blowing. Right. I and mean, it, what's what's it, so it, absurd about the whole thing? And again, this is not to say that like they're not really good. They are. Like, they went 19 and 15 last year. It's not like like, like if this team was like the like the good mid major last year that was you know a 20 win type team that you know had gotten to the NIT right. If they're an NIT team, you say okay, well you know. Good for you know, good for them. Good for good for Dusty. They they could be like that dangerous 12 seed this year. They weren't like they they were they were seven they were 17 or they were 16 and 13 against division or no 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 excuse me they were 15 and 13 in the regular season last year against division one opponents and they didn't have Boyd and they you know they they you know Davis was still coming along. It is it is like absolutely like wild that they're this good. Like it's a massive jump. And they don't even get to keep their money. The money stays in Conference USA, I guess. Yeah, it's the NCAA units. <laughs> they uh, obviously get their exposure and their merchandise and all that stuff, but um, what they're gonna need is NIL to keep Martin and Davis. But so making the final four gets you, I think I saw 8.3 million. Does that sound right? In units? Yes. Yeah, it's about that. Or I guess I think it's five games and it's 2 million each, so 10 million each. Okay, so we'll, we'll use 10 million. And, and, and trust me, I understand that this is not a basketball um, designed move to move to the American Conference. But would you rather have ten million dollars well, you don't get the conference USA or be in the American? You don't get the ten million dollars. They're gonna split it up amongst the league. Like St. Peter's didn't take you know St. Peter's got what, eight million for the Mac over the next six oh. years? Oh, I thought it was split between between teams that made the tournament from that conference. And they're uh, doing- well, every league can do it differently. Like every the money gets assigned to the league and the league can do whatever the league wants with it. Oh. I, I thought it was the, the tournament credits were split between the teams that made the tournament. No. Uh, so if they were in the CSA, they could get like one-tenth of the pots. They could get like a million bucks, which again, like a million dollars, especially if it was just going to go to basketball, right? If you said, all right, we're, you know, we, you know, we're going to get a million dollars over the next six years. That means you could hire one more staffer and buy one more game a year. That's not nothing. Yeah. Right. That's. I mean, look. I'll I'll tell you this. Like in in January, a friend told me that FAU was on the on the on the message board, which is great, by the way. I don't know if people realize this, but there's a message board for uh, buying games. Like coaches just go on there and like, oh, you know, Florida Atlantic needs a game next year on eleven twelve, looking to be bought, type of thing. FAU is looking to get bought. Like this January was when they were like hunting for next year. Nobody's going to buy them next year. They're going to have to be buying. Kim English, get him on the phone. 
Well, you got to buy them. You should be able to get a discount for the team being better, right? Like if if a, a if a mid major ranked two hundredth, you pay say a hundred thousand dollars for. For the mid major that's ranked seventeenth, you should be able to pay them like twenty grand, right? Depends on the upside of the of the operation. It's like a big bell curve, where like team three fifty, you know, Hartford um, on one end and Florida Atlantic on the other are the same price, but like Quinnipiac in the middle is like the most expensive. It's a great question. I would think scheduling wise, realistically though, the fact that they made a Final Four means they'll be able to get in like two good like neutral games, right? They'll get to play. Yeah. They'll get st- stuck in like, you know, the like the event they they have in Chicago this year, the sh- Legend of Basketball Showcase, right? They'll get stuck in something like that, and they'll get to play a high major on a neutral court, and they'll be like, wow, look, you know, you can market the fact that we just have this mid-major Final Four Cinderella team with all these guys back. But I, I think Providence's MTE need, needs a fourth team. It was Providence, Kansas State, Miami, and I think they were needing a fourth. Let's uh. You do a Florida Atlantic Kansas State rematch first round. Somebody, uh, I think Greg Waddell tweeted that, uh, tweeted a picture of the Final Four schedule and said, "Welcome to the 2023 Myrtle Beach Invitational." I mean, <laughs> Final Four, <laughs> which was really funny. Um, all right, prediction time, Brad. Championship game and the winner. I'm saying Florida Atlantic versus UConn with UConn winning. Yeah, I'll take SDSU and UConn with UConn winning. And hey, not not to totally jump into 23-24, oh dear. but UConn's going to be legit next year. That you assume Sonogo's going to go? I, I, I assume Sonogo and Hawkins are going to go. Unless and they can I'm, find a way to NIL Sonogo easier than what they currently have to do, I would guess Sonogo goes. I guess Hawkins goes. Jackson probably stays. Thanks. But then I think Newton and the lean, I think they went through senior night, but they do have another year. Why not come back? Especially Newton. I mean, he'll start. Yeah. If, if they're starting line next year, is Newton, Castle, Jackson, Caravan, and Klingon. Yeah. That could easily be a top 10 team. I'd argue it should be a top 10 team. Yeah. Anyway, are we moving on to coaching carousel? Is that yeah, the point? Let's start with Rodney Terry. Um, I feel like I've been pretty open that I am somewhat down on RT getting this job. Um, I'm surprised there hasn't been more pushback nationally. Because the media is in bed with these coaching agents. Sure. And and the coaches. And then and, and, and they just want to puff everyone up. Like like there was But Brad, they, I, I'm in I'm Matt, in Matt Dorlander tweeted like Ronnie Terry should have gotten the deal yesterday. And then people uh, I think like Ken Palm and somebody else responded like why would they give him a why would he agree to a deal yesterday? That doesn't make any sense. They're just like it, it's always right it, it, in this media stuff, it's always the person with less power in the situation that is pump up, right? So if it's Institution versus coach, they side with the coach. If it's coach versus player, they side with the player. 
if it's NCA versus institution, they side with the institution. That's all it is. So in this case, institution, Texas versus coach Ronnie Terry, we side with Ronnie Terry. So here's my thing with it, right? Like, I, I think Ronnie Terry is more equipped to be the head coach of Texas than the head coach of UTEP. I think he fits Texas. I think his brand, I think his style of coaching is as far as like being like a CEO and having like a better staff, like all those things I think fits Texas more than UTEP. That being said, right? Like I get that he's like acquitted himself well. They had a good year. I think he was very personable in every interview, whatever. You seem to seem to be very nice. But like where does Rodney Terry rank right now among Big 12 coaches? Got to be dead last. And, and, and that's counting Grant McCaslin for Texas Tech. Right. Like, is he worse than Grant McCaslin? I would say probably, yeah. Some people would say, well, this run you know, overtakes whatever. Is he worse than with the expansion? He's he's probably better than Johnny Dawkins. Absolutely, probably. <laughs> But is he better than Wes Miller? I mean, Wes, Wes Miller has not moved the needle of Cincinnati. I think I think you can go with Ronnie Terry. Is he better than Mark Pope? That's a weird one because BYU is such like its own organism. Like you, you have such a limited pool, but you get the best players from that pool. It's a weird job. I'd say probably he's better than Marco. I know people love Marco. But, like, the the dude just made the Elite Eight. I mean, we value tournament play so much with these co- coaches. I mean, and, and, and the thing that's going to insulate Rodney Terry in, in these discussions is with NIL and with brand, he's going to be able to build – a team at Texas is it's going to be hard to screw it up. Now, coaches screw up all. I mean, Chaka Smart argu- arguably screwed up a lot at Texas uh, by not advancing past the first round. But he's he's going to have such a, a a better shot of looking like a good coach than getting the most talented down transfers he can find at UTEP. You know, it's, it's going to be a better a better op- a better infrastructure, a better opportunity to succeed. No doubt. I'm just like, I think at the end of the day, Texas didn't really want to hire him, but once they made the Elite Eight and they swung out with some big names, you just didn't really have to do it, right? Because the optics of hiring your second tier name probably weren't going to be great. Like, if you hired Sean well, Miller after you just beat the crap out of Xavier, right. that, that would be weird. If you hired Dana Altman after that, they, they've been in the NIT, I think, the last two seasons. That would have been but a weird I, I do genuinely think, like, look, look, all these people tweeting, like, Rodney Terry deserves the job. Great. What, 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 what happens if, 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 if you could have gotten Billy Donna? Oh, well, Rodney Terry deserved it. There's no such thing as deserves it. You don't deserve jobs. You don't earn jobs. You get jobs. I mean... Right? This is this isn't this isn't uh it's not a report card you don't you don't go to class and get an A you don't earn you don't earn it right you either get the job or you don't right 
he's not like Roddy Terry is not like like really qualified for the Texas job, right? Like his his qualifications as head coach like are, are below candidates that would have no chance of getting a Texas job. And but it's, it's it's this thing with the interns where I mean it's everyone's gut reaction, right? Ed Cooley goes to Georgetown, you go to the message board, the first thing is well, why don't we hire Jeff Battle? He'll, he'll be able to keep the players. Like, no, we just saw Wichita State. We saw URI, right, you know, 45 minutes down the road. We saw New Mexico with Noodles Neal, right? Like, and now and now we got people pointing to, like, Jerome Tang as, like, higher assistance. <laughs> What's going on with Mike Hopkins? They're losing starters by the day. Uh, Wojo's in the booth. You know, like there, there are no sure thing. There's no, you know, just hire a mid-major coach, just hire an assistant, just hire a coach who made the deep run in the tournament. There's no sure thing. It's it, it's so subjective and it's so uh, so butterfly effect with injuries and 17 year olds making decisions that you you, you can't just be be just like okay things are going well we're going to hire the intern like that's that that's just rolling the dice it's just a flip of a coin also like what happens if texas misses the tournament next year do we know how long was it a five-year deal he got yeah he got a five-year deal i I guess you could buy him out but you're, you're probably not going to no, no, no. I'm, I'm not even saying in a fire next year. Like you're, you're gonna give him two years minimum. But like, fans are pissed. Well, 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 right. Like, will, will there be any sort of introspection from everyone who's tweeting like about how Roddy Terry is like ordained to be the next head coach of Texas? Be any sort of introspection? Yeah, maybe, maybe, no. maybe like, maybe, like, like, because I mean, like, look, because quite frankly, I feel like I screwed up on Isaac Brown. I just found an unbelievable job at Wichita State in, in that one year. And maybe Wichita's not a good enough job where I'm at, right? But what, I was Brown was clearly not, like, built to be, a, be the head coach at Wichita State. It's a completely different deal as the guy versus the assistant. And maybe Rodney Terry is building up a brand because of this year and because of NIL and all of it. They'll get great players. They'll be fine. But especially, like, if they lose some of these guys, right? Like, like there's no guarantee Arterio Morris is back. There's certainly no guarantees Dylan Mitchell's back. There's no guarantee that Dylan DeSue is back. He's a fifth year. Like, this is a complete gut job. And I get that they have Ron Holland, but, like, you know, he better hit on these guys. Absolutely. Because, you know. Speaking. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, go. I'm just rambling. You can go ahead. Okay, I, I I think this is the time to to switch gears and get your official statement on the Kevin Sweeney search firm. Oh yeah. Which I I was not gonna say anything, and then our 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 fearless athletic director on a national or I mean it it it, it was a, a local media call, but it, but it went on to YouTube. <laughs> it's like you know how I found this coach. I read an article from Kevin Sweeney, and at the time I thought it was the long feature you did on Kim English, where you went to George Mason 
and talked to them and got the whole tour and the experience and saw practice and this and that. No, it was it was a one paragraph blurb in your ten coaches to watch. That said, that said, if he wins twenty games this year, he'll be on the high major radar. And he won twenty games. And he got high major. Oh, I got to hire this guy quick. <laughs> um, which, which okay, people were making fun of, and I want to say rightfully so. But at the same time, when the search firm lady went on Field of 68 last year, it was like one way I find candidates is when they send a gift basket to my office. <laughs> I think I think NAF might might have the right method here. Do you think if Kim English works out at, at, at Providence, you will have single-handedly killed the search firm and will just turn to to blogs and websites to to to, to vet their coaching candidates? <laughs> that was very funny. Um, I, I I like. I, I do think like the AD like the AD saying that publicly was wild. Right? Yeah. Like, because <laughs> it's there, no one's forcing you to tell the truth, right? Like like it is po- like I do know, and I again I it is nice to get reminded of this by articles like this. Like, I do know like the things I write have a lot of reach, right? Like I. I wrote about the SEC's growth in basketball last year, and Greg Sankey retweeted it, the commissioner that I see, one, you know, one of the three most powerful people in college, college sports, right? Like, my, what I write has sway. It's read by search firms. It's read by agents. And when I published my Coaches on the Rise article, I got texts from agents that morning being like, oh, you know, thanks for putting my guy out there. Or, oh, you know, um, you know where's X? Whatever. Like, people, like, these do matter. But, like, even if that's how you first kind of came together, cobbled together, like, okay, you know, Kim is a guy to keep, keep an eye on. Him. Just say, I've been, you know, I watch a lot of the A10 and we're always prepared if something happens. I've seen what Kim has been building. I have a long relationship with, and our school has a long relationship with Rick Barnes. And it was a logical fit. Because what it seems like you did, right? What it seems like this, what, 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 like, what, 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 when, you, when you say, oh, I found Sports Illustrated, it seems like Steve Knapp, Goes, you know, realized he was losing a coach and Googled, you know, who, who, rising mid-major coaches, college basketball. And God, Sports Illustrated, let's see what he has to say. Okay, this guy's in the Midwest. This guy's out West. This guy's out West. Oh, Kim English, Northeast. All right, let's, let's call this guy. That's, that's like how it gets perceived in that clip. Like the people who consulted with him on the search were Rick Barnes, Brad Stevens, and Billy Donovan, who were all pushing their former assistants. I don't exactly know who Billy Donovan was pushing. Maybe that was like some some Patino, uh, you know, kind of smoke and mirrors or something. But, like, if if you call Rick Barnes and ask for, like, a young coach, he's going to say the guy who he knows and worked with him. And Brad Stevens was clearly either gauging Micah's, Micah Shrewsbury's interest or getting him a raise, right? And I, I guess he called, like, the GM of the Timberwolves, too. And I, everyone's like, yeah, Kim English is a cool guy. Um, he, he is a very cool guy. He'll be a star. But, yeah, Knapp wanted somebody who was cool, right? He, he didn't want um, Mark Schmidt. Mark Schmidt or James Jones or Dusty May or any of these guys uh, that – 
that that we batted around back and forth in the group chats, right? He he wanted like a like a young. He's going to be on social media. He's going to be you know attractive for for recruits, and we'll see who he gets in the portal. He needs two or three more guys in the portal probably. So we'll see. Hopefully we're done with just two two George Basin guys. I'm really cool with Aduro. I'm cool with Fernandez. I actually wanted Fernandez a ton as a high school recruit when Cooley was recruiting him. Uh, so kind of the irony that I get Fernandez but lose lose my coach. Um, but hey, we will see. But now uh, yeah, score, go, score, score one for the Sweeney search firm. Going forward, you need to run these articles by me because our next coach could be in there. Uh, after Kim English leaves to coach Tennessee after Rick Barnes retires. Uh, so I'm going to need to personally sign off on all of your names in these articles. Fair enough. Um, other big hires from the week. Shrewsbury to Notre Dame. Initial thoughts, Brad? It's definitely a good hire. Yeah. Um, he will be starting from scratch. Obviously, Notre Dame stunk. They had a lot of older guys. Really, the only guy who looks like they're returning at this point is Van Allen Lubin. And that's just because he hasn't – I mean, he, he he has not entered the portal yet. He still obviously has a month or so. Um, but, I mean, this is a total gut job. We'll see how many guys it takes with him from Penn State. Also, Evan Mahaffey entered the portal today. He's, he's definitely a high-major caliber player, despite modest stats. I mean – he can play the small ball five. He played play the three and the four. He's athletic. He's versatile. Uh, but th- this is a total start from scratch from for Michael Shrewsbury. So we'll see um, even what this team looks like. But Penn State was also super old and losing a lot of guys. Losing Pickett and I think Winter. Um, Lundy's obviously going pro. Dredd's been there forever. He's gone. So either way, he was starting from scratch. So um, he gets to start the clock again, probably bigger salary and – I mean, major salary, monster salary. Notre Dame has hired a sitting NCAA tournament high major head coach. So that's that's an A-plus for me. Agreed. Um, I think it will be harder to get old at Notre Dame just because of the um, challenges in the portal. I think it'll be easier with grads than undergrads. So they'll probably take... My guess is they will recruit a lot of like they'll recruit like an Andrew Funk type, right? They'll take like if they need a center, they'll take the Keegan Records kid from Colgate, you know. But you'll take a couple grads like that, like Patriot League, Ivy, easy ones, and then you'll try to get one or two undergrad transfers in. It sounds like they're gonna bring Kerry Booth. Yep. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good hire. I think it might take some time. Like, 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 I'm curious. Like, like if Bovada lets you bet on a line for like when Michael Shrewsbury gets to the tournament at Notre Dame, is it like like and the over under is year three? Do you bet that he does? So I think he makes it in year three. I'll say sure, because he made it in year two at Penn State. But he recruited Jalen Pickett at Penn State, you know? I mean, he he built the, the, the right group. They had a great synergy. They had that MO of 
bully ball with the point guard and shooting, and I'm sure he'll exploit whatever inefficiencies are there on the transfer market. And yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's easier to make the NCAA tournament in, in the ACC than it, than it is the Big Ten right now. So I think uh, I'll, I'll say by year three, I'll make the tournament. I think that's fair. I will say this. I say this liking Micah a lot. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's really smart. Micah Shrewsbury basically won four four or five close games in a row. If he loses two of those games, probably doesn't make the NCAA tournament this year. And instead, he nearly beats Texas. He's, you know, getting four over four million from Notre Dame. I mean, that's elite salary level. Um, on a seven year deal, I believe, with major NIL commitments, like he he went from nearly missing the NCAA tournament with an all American to like the hottest name on the on the market because he won a couple of like buzzer beater games. I mean, that's that's a different. I mean, that was Andy Enfield, not with buzzer beaters, but a couple games in March, right? That's that's a lot of these guys. No doubt. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's unique to him. I'm just saying, like, I'm curious what the narrative would be if they were coming off in NIT. Other coaching moves. I don't know if we've talked McCasland. Um, well, it's not official yet, but I mean, seems they're like still the NIT. But I mean, he did great stuff in North Texas. Obviously, beat Purdue in the NCAA tournament. Had, had a couple of really good teams. I mean, this year they, you know, great in the metrics, win a ton of games, tougher than you'd think. Conference USA. He's been able to do it while while losing players. I mean, what's there not to like? Former Baylor assistant. That's a huge plus these days. I like it. I think he doesn't necessarily have like the same presence, but I think he's a really, really good ball coach and will win. I think I think similarly of the I mean I think I think similar about the Paul Mills hire, which felt where it's a good, not great. But I don't really know what a great hire looks like. Like but Paul Mills won 30 games this year, and Paul Mills also um Paul Mills like went to a street seat. But also Paul Mills is 22 and 44 in his career without Max Aismas. Their defenses are terrible, right? Like there are some potential downsides here. Without a doubt. I, and, and plus the whole and it, it will see that if if the expanded Big 12 is still like this, but you know, you can be a good coach, have a good team and you know, it just doesn't doesn't work out. You look at Oklahoma State, you lose one or two too many games. The difference would be in a nine seed and in the NIT. You know, so, you know, look at Porter Mosier, too. A lot of these oh, – well, Porter's leading for the SEC. But, you know, you can get in in the situation, having Bruce Weber, where you're a good coach, you've had good teams at this place, and just a couple of years in a row you find yourself on the bottom, and that's the narrative, and that's it. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Mark Madsen to Cal. This one's also not done yet because they're in the NIT, but 
strikes me as a good hire. Yeah, I mean, again, Utah Valley the past couple of years have been really good, and they've lost guy. They lost far to us. That's what I was gonna say, right? It is one. Well, well, here's just like the easiest way of putting it. Mark Madsen was the favorite at Stanford if Stanford opened. Stanford doesn't open. Cal's a worse job. Cal gets Mark Madsen. Boom. Easy. Mark Madsen, you know, to, to win the league and be in the final four of the MIT the year after you lose, like, the one of the best players in program history in Fardaws is pretty impressive. So we'll see if it works. I think Cal's a horrendous job right now. Like, I'm surprised Madsen would take it. I know it's a big difference financially. Uh, but, like, man, like, Cal, I'm not convinced that anyone can win a Cal right now. Quanzo did one year. I think Cal's in a different place than it was then. What what has happened to Cal since, since Jalen Brown and Ivan Rab uh, graced the court? Um, number one, the department is less committed to winning athletically because they're in more debt post-COVID. Number two, NIL, which they're not going to do well with. Number three... The Pac-12 is unstable at this point without UCLA and USC and could get even more unstable. Like, like Cal is a Mountain West level job, in my opinion. Like, if I could have Cal or Colorado State, I would take Colorado State. If, if money was equal, you're saying? If money was at all close. Yeah. And I think it would be. I mean, I, I think Cal's ponying up a little bit with Madison, but... Like they were paying Mark Fox like one point one point five. That's less than what Archie Miller makes at URI. Right. So I don't know. We'll see. Other hires we need to mention? Well, we have the next dominoes in the rumor mill, right? Is Mike Rhodes from VCU to Penn State. Which I, I, I don't feel confident that that's actually happening. So if not Mike Rhodes. Is it Matt Langle? Could be Adam Fisher. The internal hire. Oh. Which would honestly be kind of hilarious. Wasn't he in the mix for Temple? He is in the mix for Temple. Obviously, rather have Penn State than Temple. Correct. Here's the, here's the, here's the really funny thing. If Adam, like, if Adam Fisher gets Penn State, then Jalen Pickett will have essentially gotten four coaches, head coaching jobs in his five-year college career. Because he got Jamie and George Washington. He then got Carm Sienna. He got Micah um, Notre Dame. And by virtue of them being really good, that got Adam Fisher. And Jalen's been openly campaigning for Adam Fisher, Fisher on social media. He got Adam Fisher Penn State. Think about that. Jalen Pickett will have gen- developed like generational wealth for like five different coaches in his college career. Good for him. And that's so unique because he was so good. He was like just good enough at every stage, right? Where like he was just good enough as the Siena best player to get guy won the job, and then he bombed at the combine, which. Then let him do year two, get year two the job. But then he was good enough where he could go to Penn State and 
and keep the train rolling where at the end he was an All-American. Right. Pretty crazy. Um, do we have any other carousel stuff we want to hit on? I don't think so. Well, then I was going to say if I thought I saw the anonymous coaching account say if Rhodes to Penn State, then Ryan Odom to VCU. Ryan Odom is mentioned for every job. South Florida, George Mason. He was mentioned at, um, I think I mentioned a little of Penn State. Like, every job is open. Ryan Odom, Ryan Odom, Ryan Odom. You were trying to mention him for Providence. I thought he'd be a good hire, Providence. You should have put him in your article. Mm, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm cool with Kim English. We're going to see how... How this first portal round goes. Um, I guess that's it for coaching care. So, I mean, we our next segment could be like try to interpret Andrew Slater tweets. I was saying portal in general, some big names that have hit open. Today was a big day. Caleb, Caleb, or Caleb Love, uh, Khalil Ware, um, Keon Menafield. So finally, like some actually good players in the portal, which is much needed. We got a commit from Paxton Wojcik to North Carolina, which is an absurd reach. Well, he, uh, he he's going to be like their tenth man, probably when it's all said and done. You think? He's Justin Pierce. Got some screen time this this uh, weekend. Justin oh, Pierce. Oh, you were at the games probably, but his. His brother, I think, was on Princeton. And they, they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Chicago they, kid. Yeah. They uh, showed him in the stands. Justin Pierce was like, hey, we just had a Justin Pierce conversation last week. Prepared me uh, for this very moment of seeing him on camera. Let's go on. Who else has gone into the portal here lately? People are insinuating that Jaden Epps will be in the portal. Yes, I saw that. How about that? Jaden Epps and Cooley together again, potentially. Jaden Epps to Providence with Kimmy. I mean, he committed to Cooley briefly and presumably backed off and went to Illinois. I mean, what, what's the difference between Providence and Illinois, you know? Wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Caden Shedrick in the portal. Caden Shedrick's sister played softball at Providence but then transferred to Radford. Oh, Did, was that... Was that a softball runoff? Are those a thing? Probably. <laughs> I know uh, what to call that. I know uh, Isaac Trout's supposed to be going to Creighton because his girlfriend plays volleyball there. Yes, we got a crystal ball for that as well. I mean, pers- I uh, wa- want to toot my own horn for a second here because I called this the minute they got Ben Vanderplas. I said that was a stupid pickup. You're messing with karma, redshirting top 50 recruits. And now the two teams that have registered top 50 recruits, embarrassing first-round losses, right? Purdue, with Trey Kaufman ran last year, they registered him. They lost to St. Peter's last year, lose to Philly Dickinson this year. Virginia loses to Furman. And now Trout's out the door. I mean, we'll, it, 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 I mean we, we will never know for certain, but I think if you played Isaac Trout 15 minutes a game this year, you had a better chance of keeping him for a year or two and beyond than redshirting him. Right, because these guys are too high, highly ranked to redshirt. They're looking around, and all the other top recruits are playing and getting this and that and mentions and 
NCAA tournament social media, and he's sitting there in a in a, in a tracksuit. Well, here's my question: Like, are they what two? Do they win what two last games if they have Trout play the whole year instead of Vanderplas? I mean, maybe they win more because the analytics are saying play Shedrick instead of Vanderplas. And now Shedrick's leaving. <laughs> How about that? Agreed. Um, here's a question. If you had, if you could take Isaac Trout or Khalil Ware, who would you take? Khalil Ware. Confidently. I mean, if, right, the, the whole, the whole, Issue with the one-and-done big is they leave after one year, but we know he's at least come back for year two. And he's huge, and he blocks shots. He was behind another five-star big at Oregon. I mean, let this guy loose. Let him just run around block shots. He can hit threes. I think he could be a game-changer for somebody's defense. I guess my question with with Khalil Ware, right, there's – all sorts of like Gavoni said that like his his background was a D out of you know on an A, a through F scale and that his motor was a D right so you're getting a low motor kid who's probably more worried about his pro stock he's you know wasn't actually that good right and you know, he's shooting under 50 percent from the field was playing 12 minutes a game at Oregon an NIT team. Right? Like there's obviously incredible potential, but like with either try you're getting like a probably a three year starter, right? Three year starter who can stretch it. That is Hopefully true. He's good. You're getting him for one year. No, I, I maybe you are correct. Ironically, if um if if Cockburner leaves, they could use both of them. Um, no doubt. I don't think Colorado is going to Creighton, quite frankly. Could be Texas. Could be. Um, I saw you Arkansas. Arkansas has got all these dudes. Well, I, I, I guess Muscles doesn't care if he has dudes. Who's that? Those add more dudes, but. Yeah. <laughs> Severe Wheeler in the portal. Um, Mahaffey, as we mentioned, in the portal. DJ Horn is in the portal. Brandon Murray is in the portal. So we're starting to get actually get some quality here. And we're only just now starting to get commitments, right? Like, like the Josh Maduro commit. Um, I mentioned the Paxton Wojcik commit. Uh, Loyola Chicago got Dame Adelakun from uh, Dartmouth, who is an analytics darling. I think in the top 15 of Evan Evan Miyakawa's transfer rankings. So average 14 and seven and two blocks. I mean, his player rankings last year had Bryce Hopkins lower than UConn's walk-ons. You're such a hater. I mean, how? I mean, Kevin. Bryce Hopkins was lower than UConn's walk-ons. Let's not be haters on Evan Evan Mia rankings. I'm big on the I'm still big on the Evan Mia brand. 
He's at the top of my Friar Hater list. A list that's growing by the minute. Oh, it's wild on the internet. I don't know why the Georgetown fans are so like combative. But we, we have a lot of win some games first. We have a lot of Providence fans not helping the cause. I had to get in the mud with somebody the other day who's saying, well, at least we don't have to run the flex anymore. We haven't run the flex in like 10 years. Like, what are you talking about? And then we got that. Oh, no, he, he doesn't even know what the flex is. Now we yeah. got Kim yeah. English said, we're going to run four out, one in. I was like, well, I'm glad that we finally have a coach that's going to run four out, one in. What do you think Cooley was running the – where was Bryce Hopkins standing on the court? Was he standing under the basket? No. Well, I saw, somebody, I saw someone tweeted, like, like in response to, like, a four-out-one-in comment. Like, oh, four shooters around B-Hop? And, like, a day later, Josh Adoro committed to Providence. Like, no, no, no. Like, you're going to have a real big. Why would Hop ever be the one in? Like, like what are these people talking about? Like, <laughs> doesn't make it easy. I would like to share my favorite recruiting-related thing I got all week, which was a DM from a account that is called that is at LSU B-Ball 24. Number one LSU basketball fan is his name. He DMs me. He, 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 he's never interacted with me before. He just DMs me out of the blue. Will LSU get transfers? Question mark. Yeah, yeah I think they will. Will they be any good? Who knows? But I'm very confident that, that LSU will, will, in fact, get transfers. By at least one. <laughs> you would think. Well, they have, they have some good good players coming back, but at the same time, those good players just came in last in the SEC, sneakily. Correct. But still, the I think the... The three dumbest message board comments I've seen that I still have not recovered from. And I don't go to as many message boards as, as I used to. Um, but there was a one on the Georgetown one, which I think is first place. This was obviously maybe three weeks ago or so. That said that Ed Cooley was a worse coach than Kyle Neptune and Mike Anderson. I still haven't recovered from that one. We have one on the Providence message board where they said, the only Providence coach who's actually loved the school was Rick Pitino. The guy who coached there for two years and then left in like the middle of the summer to be an assistant coach with the Knicks. It's unbelievable. Like R- Rick Pitino might be like the, the coach who loves province the least. <laughs> like what? <laughs> he coached there for two years. Um, and then third on the Butler message board, somebody said a reason why team wasn't playing well was because an assistant coach would set up Thad Mai's chair in the timeout, which was a sign of weakness. And that's why the players wouldn't play hard. Because their leader had to have his chair set up for That's incredible. So take take those three, whatever order you want. I'm still reeling from them. That really is incredible content. What do you think is the worst of the three there? I think the chair. <laughs> I, did I tell you the one that, that was that the Sienna fans? The Sienna fan, one of the, one of the Sienna fans said that, that, that it was clear that Carm wasn't prepared for the portal age because he still wears suits on the sideline. 
Jersey's old fashioned. Well, well, what about like the the two all league players he recruited in the portal? Well, no, 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 but he says he doesn't like the portal. What coach likes the portal? Like, I guarantee if you polled every single coach in college basketball, do you like dealing with the transfer portal? They would say no in like 75 to 80% quantities. Moss is still doing the send out fake contact to everybody thing. It was like, has there ever been anything a coach has tried that has less return on investment? No, the idea is that it's harder to figure out who they're actually recruiting. Right, but nobody cares. You're recruiting like three dudes. There's a thousand dudes out there. Well, yes, but it's harder to negative recruit it. Well, when someone when someone puts out their list and it's like Arkansas, GW, Loyola, and Mississippi State, it's like, hmm, <laughs> what team's not like the other? Um, Loyola's could reach out to like every kid too. And and Butler, and Virginia Tech, and URI. Clemson, Clemson too. Clemson too, yeah. I saw Kirk Creaso went on a visit to West Virginia. Which, I guess. I still think Xavier. I saw Crystal Ball action for Xavier, too. Um, should be interesting. I actually would, I would pay real money for uh, John, T- or excuse me, for Kirk Creaso, Bob Huggins' marriage. I saw that West West Virginia reached out to Jared Bynum, which I think the Creasa marriage would go over better than Jared Bynum. I think Huggins would hate Creasa more. Maybe. <laughs> Although Eric, uh, Eric Stevenson got all the minutes, all the shots. That's true. Here, I, I do want to say, like, on a serious note, like, I'm not sure that, like, fans – totally realized yet and i'm sure that will happen after the final four people write these articles but like the nil situation has not gotten any better from last year if anything it's actually gotten worse because you need a lot more money now because of john huh because of john ruiz set set in the line part of it's john ruiz part of it's john ruiz but like part part of it's like now last year like Elite transfers expected to get paid, right? Now, every transfer expects to get paid. And the ballpark for, like, a good, like, a good, like, a high mid-major starter, right? So, like, if you wanted to, like, a guy who should be starting in, like, the Mountain West, the WCC, the, the like, average cost for that in the portal right now for that level of player is, like, 50 to 75 grand, give or take. Some of them, I'm sure, are going for free. But from what I've gathered, like, that is not an abnormal number at that level. A-10, Mountain West, Conference USA, 57.5 grand for, like, a good starter. You can work your way up to, like, the best players, right? You know, like the... Uh, Caleb Love? Or- yeah, I mean, Caleb Love is his own deal because he actually has a real brand, right? Like, Jameer Nelson Jr., like that level of recruit, Dalton Nett. Those guys are going to command like 400 plus. 500. Like, like John Tanjay, 
John Tanjay is a low to mid six figure guy to give you an idea. Shout out Dennis Gates getting that one done quick. But like, like think about how absurd that is. That's right? incredibly absurd. That it, it's a bubble that has to pop. You would think, right? But like, so so think about it this way. Let's say you're a staff that has five open scholarships. You're a high major staff, four or five open spots, right? And big holes to fill, right? Like let's say you need a starting point guard and a starting center. You probably need a million dollars in NIL money just for those players, just for those five spots. If you're going to be a high major, you're going to get five good transfers. You need a million bucks. Let's say, let's say you're able to do it on the cheap. You need 700, right? Okay, great. You, you get it done with 700,000. You spend 250 on your starting point guard. You spend 250 on starting center. And you spend 100 each on two, like, rotation players. Great. You, you pulled, pulled together $700,000. That's not nothing, right? $700,000 is a lot of money. You still have eight other players on your roster who are unaccounted for, including your best returning player, right? So, again, we'll use the example of a team that, you know, has five spots. They have one really good returner, right? Let's say they, they have one, like, all-league level returner. Well, he's going to have to get paid what the what the two elite transfers are getting paid, right? Or close. So that's another 250, right? Then you got a couple others. You got you know one one or two more starters. You need at least another hundred, right? So like the like entry level point for a high major roster that's competitive that's turning over players right now is probably a million five. And everyone's still trying to figure out the market, so maybe it'll settle down and let it be, it'll be closer to a million. Maybe it will wind up a little higher and it'll be closer to two. But, like, I feel pretty confident in saying that, like, especially in, like, the SEC and the Big 12, that, like, a million, a million to a million five is, like, walk-in-the-door amounts of money to be able to fill the team. That's... That's pretty insane. It's nonsense, right? Like, 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 like let, let, let me put it this way. Because these players aren't that good. <laughs> that's the problem. And they all have agents. Like, I, I was I was talking to a coach um, today at a mid-plus, mid-plus mid program. So, again, that same level, Mountain West, A-10, WCC, Conference USA, Missouri Valley. They are recruiting a kid – who is a blue blood runoff. Like did not play almost at all for the blue blood. That kid made $150,000 this past year. Not playing. Huh? Not playing at all. Without playing. So now he's in the portal and like in in his mind, right? Like why is he going to take a pay cut? Why is he going to go below 150? Well, how many of these mid pluses have 150 to spend on a kid who they're not even sure if it's any good? Yeah. Right? That's, and, that's what I'm saying. The, the bubble has to pop. Like, everyone just has to look around and be like, you know what? Potential eighth man, you get $0. And if you want to weigh your options until July 10th, until you realize, yes, I'm going to make $0, then so be it. But we're holding firm at 0 But, like... The, the and, and 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 these kids all have agents, 
right? Like, again, my high major runoff example. That kid who ran 100 has an agent. He want, you know, Before he could commit, he said, I need to talk to my agent. What do you have an agent for? You played like 100 minutes of college basketball in the last two years. Like, again, NIL is great, right? Kids being able like like what the Cavender twins are doing at Miami, where they're getting brand deals on the internet because they have a huge following on TikTok is great. I also have no problem, by the way, with like an actual salaried system, right? Like I, I actually think that would be okay. It would be a massive shakeup to college sports, but I actually would have no problem if, if, if and one, one coach floated to me today, like, what if each conference basically had a salary cap, right? Each league. So, you know, if you're in, you're in the big 12, your team salary cap is 2 million bucks, right? And everyone has to pay 2 million bucks. You know, you, you, you have to pay at least, you know, let's say 1.2 and you can't pay over 2 million, right? Just like a, just like a college team, would, right? Or just like a pro team would. Can't go over 2 million. That would feel crazy, right? Because I don't know why, why these guys are worth that. But at least it would be like it would be fair, right? Like there are programs that like legitimately cannot compete right now, that are that have kids that they would have gotten any other year that they can't get right now because they don't have as much nil, or they just don't have it committed, or it's not allocated properly, or it's you know there's red tape with the collective, right? Like it's crazy. Maybe that's a better better model. But like the current model of no one knows what a player is worth. The only people who are actually benefiting from the whole thing are these NIL agents, these shady characters who are making 15% off of every deal, right? So the guy who represented, you know, who, who, guy rep- a guy who represents a Nigel Pack level player is making, you know, 70 grand off one year for doing what? Who knows, right? It is ridiculous. Like, this is not a sustainable way of operating a sport. Having everyone just guessing what players are worth, listening to lies, and having to basically be like pay bribes, right? That, that's what we're doing, right? Like, and 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 to keep kids like 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 the like kids are legit like extorting schools and their collectives for more money. They have the leverage. The, the the issue is, and now this might not be as big of an issue for people on the inside versus someone like me on the outside, but from an outside perspective, it is absolutely ridiculous that you don't know who's going to be in the portal when the portal opens. Like imagine NBA free agency where it's like we need a shooter, but like maybe in two weeks a shooter will become a free agent. Like how do you not have every available player? to choose from that's insane you have to make a decision no no team should have to be like well like this guy wants to commit it's april 1st and it's not even like we have another guy in mind for later it's like well maybe somebody could come in the portal next week that's that that's not good for college basketball because you're you're gonna get instances where the best talent player and talent programs are not going to be matched up necessarily. It's going to be like a like a happenstance of who needs what when. A true game of musical chairs. Just like 
the, the music's stopping at different times for different people, and they're and they're grabbing their seat, right? But like, I mean, let's let's use this guy from Loyola for an example. He goes to Loyola now. We saw the big man market last year. I mean, what if he waits until June and he's able to go instead of Loyola, he's able to go to Illinois, or he waits until June and he has to go to Illinois, Chicago, right? Like the 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 the, the timing is playing too big of an impact on what level of player teams are getting. If that makes sense. That does make sense. I do think that staffs have a better idea of who's going to be in the portal because they've been tell. And then, and then my second thing, in terms of the money, right, it, it's good that the players are getting paid and it's good that they have the leverage to extort. My issue is this is 2016 NBA free agency. With salary caps up, boom, eighth man getting 10 million, getting 16 million young. Jan Mahimi got like 15 million to be the backup center for the Wizards, right? That threw off the whole league because it was the people that were free agents that that year got all the money, right? What, what we're going to see, at least in my opinion, is that there's there's going to be a bubble where it, it could even be this year, where in a couple months the money's just going to dry up. And now maybe these football schools just have so much money that it, like, the booster money will never dry up. But it feels just like, you know, these stories about seventh and eighth men getting tens of thousands of dollars, that, that just doesn't align with the, the value. And it, it's, 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 it's going to come to a point where the whole system is going to blow up because you're going to have eighth men making $50,000 because they got in the portal on date X. And then fourth best players are getting zero because they were on the they entered the portal later. And is this going to be, you know, I I mean this is a completely un, un unsubstantiated theory on my part, but I assume part of the reason why Texas Tech blew up was because the boosters were like, hey, you, you had me pay tens of thousands of dollars for these players, you're not even playing. What the hell? Right. So so I think off of that, what's really kind of tricky and, and interesting about this whole thing is. Like, yes, there is a oh, oh, like the, the market is inflated on two fronts, right? It's inflated on a financial front, which is that not that great players can you know extort for more money because there's a dearth of talent relative to the portal, right? Like so 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 they can extort because people need players out of the portal, and people are overpaying for not great players. Because no one knows what the market value is, right? It'd be one thing if there was one known market value and two, right? So, so, so you have one which is the like 2016 NBA thing, right? Where the, 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 the no one knows what the new market value is of these players are overpaying. And then there's the second one of there's not enough good players out there and not enough good evaluators out there, so people are just taking kids, right? Like, and again, I, I don't mean to throw stones at Pax and Wojcik. But two years ago, Paxton Wojcik was playing 10 minutes a game at Loyola Chicago. Paxton Wojcik is nothing above like a mid-plus player. He's a decent, you know, he's a good shooter. He's got good size. He plays hard. He's a good kid. Not going to, you know, not going to screw you up, right? If he had stayed at Loyola for, for the last two years and he transferred, he would have stayed 
he he would have went down for his last year of eligibility, not up. He goes to Brown to the level, you know, lowest level, and puts up big numbers. All of a sudden, now Carolina's interested, right? And so Carolina might not have to pay him because you know he's a local kid and his dad's coach, whatever. But like, there's plenty of other examples like Paxton Wojcik, right? Paxton Wojcik, like mid plus kids who are going to go high major. And part of it is they're going to go high. You know, so, so you have you have the market being screwed up by teams taking kids they shouldn't take, and then you have kid market screwed up by teams overpaying for kids they shouldn't have to pay for. Did that make any sense? Yes. So I, I think that means that the that the inefficiency in the market is these guys who rank between like 75 and 150 who didn't play as freshmen basically and are on the move. Right. Because they don't have, they're, they're going to get passed over by the big stat mid-major guys. Want to know what the true inefficiency of the market is? Juco's? No. Oh. Kids with rich parents. Yeah. (laughs) Like Jalen, like Jalen house and Jamal Mashburn, their parents played in the NBA. Boom. I mean, those those kids want money too. Yes, take, but make a decision that's not based on money. But correct. That's my point. You got to recruit Bronny James because he doesn't need to get paid to come there. He's got enough money. And Nike will pay him for a, a, a national ad campaign or something. But anyway. I just thought people would find the peel back of the curtain a little interesting because I had a lot of frustrated conversations with coaches over the last couple of days of like, how is this the way this is working? And yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I was surprised at, at lists of guys like uh, Don, Dontrez Styles was one that I was like, really? Like Providence then Georgetown, obviously. And, few other uh high majors were in there and like Paxton Wojcik like you said like all right 14 points a game at Brown because you North Carolina all right I, I guess so I I think I think the move is you, you got to get as as many guys on your roster that don't need NIL so you can just kind of f- funnel the NIL toward keeping the best players there but you you need to strike that balance where this guy is like Good enough to be on the team, but not good enough to get paid. Those Unless are you just have enough money to pay everybody, obviously. But. Right. Those are increasingly hard to find is the problem. Yeah. We shall see. Final Four should be fun. Very excited. Um, I know you made your prediction, Brad. You've got UConn winning all. I've got UConn winning all. Any uh, parting words before we wrap up our regular season here? Huh. Let's see. I mean, it is. I mean, this is not what you want me to say, but this is where my brain has been for the past month. I mean, it is surreal that Ed Cooley is not the coach of Providence anymore. Like, I saw a tweet that's like Ed Cooley offered Drew McKenna. It's like, oh, who are you offering? Like, oh, wait. Not our coach anymore. It is weird, I'm sure. But there was that picture before Cooley's press conference of him and 
him and Ivan Thomas like walking into the building. I'm like, hey, oh wait, those are not my coaches. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you wanted me to say something that was not me uh, wallowing in my sorrow, but. You it's, been a fun, it's been a fun year. I know you lost your coach, but I have not missed any transfer portal news. I have been refreshing Twitter every five minutes for the past three weeks, and nothing has gotten by me. By the way, well, it's going to be a great off season. We'll have plenty of content for you. Enjoy the final four, folks. It goes quick. We see you all next week.